Chapter Fifteen of the Enchanted Barn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Fifteen. A man arrived one morning with a horse and a plough and several other implements of farm life, of which Harley didn't know the name, and announced that Mr. Graham had sent him to plough the garden. Would Mrs. Hollister please tell him where she wanted the ground broken and how much? He volunteered the information that he was her next-door neighbor, and that if he was in her place, he'd plough the south slope of the meadow, and if she wanted flower-beds, a strip along the front near the road. The soil was best in those spots, and she wouldn't need so much fertilizer. Mrs. Hollister asked him how much he would charge to do it, and he said a little job like that wasn't worth talking about, that he used to rent the barn himself, and he always did a little turn for Mr. Graham whenever he needed it. He did it for Mr. Graham, and it wouldn't cost her nothing. Mrs. Hollister asked him how much he would charge to see where it would be best to have the plowing done, and when she came in a few minutes later and dropped down on the couch to rest from her unusual fatigue, a new thought was racing through her mind. They could have a garden, a real garden, with lettuce and green peas and lima beans and corn. She knew all about making them grow. She had been brought up in a little village home, where a garden was a part of everyone's necessary equipment for living. She used to help her father every spring and all summer. Her own little patch always took the prize of the family. But for years she had been in the city without an inch of space. Now, however, the old fever of delight in gardening took possession of her. If she could get out and work in the ground, as the doctor had suggested, she would get well right away. And why, with Harley to help, and George and Carol to work a little every evening, couldn't they raise enough on all that ground to sell some? George could take things into town early in the morning, or they could find some private families who would buy all they had to sell. It was worth thinking about, anyway. She could raise flowers for sale, too. She had always been a success with flowers. She had always wanted a hothouse and a chance to experiment. She heard the children say there were some old window sashes down under the barn. She would get George to bring them out and see what she could do with a cold frame or two. Violets would grow under a cold frame and lots of other things. Oh, if they could only just live here always, and not have to go back to the city in the fall. But, of course, there was no way to heat the barn in winter, and that was out of the question. Nevertheless, the idea of making some money with growing things had seized hold of her mind, and would not be entirely put by. She thought of it much, and talked of it now and then to Shirley and the other children. Shirley brought home some packages of seeds she got at the ten-cent store, and there was great excitement planting them, then Mr. Graham sent over a lot of seeds, of both vegetables and flowers, and some shrubs, cuttings and bulbs, which he said were leftovers at their country house that he thought perhaps the children could use. And so, before the Hollisters knew it, they were possessed of a garden which almost in a breath lifted up its green head and began to grow. Life was very full for the Hollisters in those days, and those who went to the city for the day could hardly bear to tear themselves away from the many delights of the country. The puppy was getting bigger and wiser every day, tagging Doris and Harley wherever they went, or sitting adoringly at Mrs. Hollister's feet, always bounding out to meet the evening trolley on which George and Shirley came, and always attending them to the trolley in the morning. Out behind the barn, a tiny coop held a white hen and her seven little downy balls of chickens. 
Another hen was happily ensconced in a barrel of hay with ten big blue duck eggs under her happy wings, and a little further down toward the creek a fine chicken run ended in a trig little roosting place for the poultry, which George had manufactured out of a packing box and some boards. The feathered family had been increased by two white leghorns and three bantams. George and Harley spent their evenings watching them and discussing the price of eggs and chickens per pound. They were all very happy. Elizabeth came out to spend Sunday as she had promised. She got up early to see the sunrise and watch the birds. She helped get breakfast and wash the dishes. Then she went with the others across the fields to the little white church in the valley, to Sunday school and church. She was as hungry and eager as any of them when she came home, and joyfully helped to do the work, taking great pride in the potatoes she was allowed to warm up under careful tutelage. In the afternoon there was no more eager listener among them to the Bible story Shirley told to Doris, and the book she read aloud to them all afterward. Her voice was sweetest and clearest of them all in the hymns they sang together, and she was most eager to go with Shirley to the Christian Endeavor. "'I shouldn't wonder if Sidney wishes he was here, too,' she remarked dreamily that evening, as she sat before the fire on a little cushion, her chin in her hands, her eyes on the fantastic shadows in the ashes." She went to school with Carol the next morning, came home with her in the afternoon, and when her brother came for her in the evening, she was most reluctant to go home to the big, lonely, elegant house again, and begged that Carol might soon come and see her. Friday afternoon, Elizabeth called up Mrs. Hollister. "'Please, Mrs. Hollister, let Carol come and stay with me till Monday. I'm so lonesome, and Mamma says she will be so glad if you will let her come.' "'Oh, my dear, that would be impossible.' "'Carol isn't suitably dressed to make a visit, you know,' answered the mother quickly, glad that she had so good an excuse for keeping her child from this venture into an alien world about which she had many grave doubts. But the young voice at the other end of the telephone was insistent. "'Dear Mrs. Hollister, please, she doesn't need any other clothes. I've got lots of things that would fit her. She loaned me her gingham dress to make garden in, and why shouldn't I loan her a dress to wear on Sunday?' I've got plenty of clean midi blouses and skirts, and can fix her all out fresh for school, too, Monday morning. And if you'll just let her stay, Sidney will take us both down to her school when he goes to the office. You've got all those children there at home, and I've only myself. Sidney doesn't count, you know, for he's grown up. So, with a sigh, the mother gave her consent, and Carol found the Graham car waiting for her when she came out of school. Thus she started on her first venture into the world. It was all like fairyland, that wonderful weekend, the little girl, whose memories were full of burdens and sacrifices, the palatial home of many rooms and rich furnishings, the swarm of servants, the anticipation of every want, the wide, beautiful grounds, with all that heart could wish in the way of beauty and amusement, the music room with grand piano, harp, and violin lying mute most of the time, the great library with its walls lined with rare books, mostly unread. Everything there to satisfy any whim, reasonable or unreasonable, and nobody using any of it much. Not a room in the whole place, as dear and cozy and homey as this, sighed Carol happily, sinking into the old denim-covered couch before the fireplace in the barn living room that Monday night after she got home. I declare, Mother, I don't see how Elizabeth stands it. Her mother is nice, but she's hardly ever there, unless she has a swarm of people dinnering or teaing or lunching. She hardly ever has time to speak to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth doesn't seem to care much, either. 
she almost seems to think more of that old nurse susan that took care of her when she was a baby than she does of her mother i'm so glad i was sent to you instead of to her and carol suddenly slipped across the room and buried her face in her mother's neck hugging and kissing her leaving a few bright tears on her mother's happy face it was a wonderful relief to mrs hollister to find her child unspoiled by her first experience of the world and glad to get back to her home after all the anxiety her mother-heart had felt carol presently sat up and told them minutely all about her visit the grand concert that sidney had taken them to friday evening in the academy of music where a world-renowned pianist was the soloist with the great symphony orchestra the tennis and riding saturday morning the luncheon at a neighboring estate where there were three girls and a brother who were snobs and hadn't at all good manners the party in the evening that lasted so late that they didn't get to bed till long after midnight the beautiful room they slept in with every imaginable article for the toilet done in sterling silver with monograms the strange sabbath with no service in the morning because they woke up too late and no suggestion of anything but a holiday except the vesper service in a cold formal chapel that carol had begged to go to just a lot of worldly music and entertaining with a multitude of visitors for the end of it carol told of the beautiful dresses that elizabeth had loaned her coral crepe de chine accordion pleated for the concert white with an orange sash for the luncheon pale yellow with a black velvet girdle for the party a little blue silk affair and another lovely white organdy for sunday and all with their accompanying silk stockings and slippers and gloves and necklaces and bands for her hair it was most wonderful to her and as they listened they marvelled that their carol had come back to them so gladly and rejoiced to see her nestling in her brown linen skirt and middy blouse close beside her mother's chair she declared herself satisfied with her flight into the world she might like to go again for a glimpse now and then but she thought she would rather have elizabeth out to glenside she hated to lose any of the time out here it was so pretty besides it was lonesome without them all about that time shirley picked up the morning paper in her office one day to look up a matter for mr barnard her eye happened to fall on the society column and catch the name of sidney graham she glanced down the column it was an account of a wedding in high circles in which graham had taken the part of best man with miss harriet hale in blue tulle and white orchids as maid of honor for his partner down the aisle she read the column hurriedly hungrily getting every detail white spats gardenia and all until in those few printed sentences a picture was printed indelibly upon her vision of graham walking down the lily-garlanded aisle with the maid in blue tulle and white orchids on his arm to make it more vivid the lady's picture was in the paper along with graham's just under those of the bride and groom and her face was both handsome and haughty one could tell that by the tilt of her chin the short upper lip the cynical curve of mouth and sweep of long eyelash the extreme effect of her dress and the arrangement of her hair only a beauty could have stood that hair and not been positively ugly shirley suddenly realized what she was doing and turned over the page of the paper with a jerk that tore the sheet from top to bottom going on with her search for the real estate column and the item she was after all that morning her typewriter keys clicked with mad rapidity yet her work was strangely correct and perfect she was working under a tense strain by noon she had herself in hand realized what she had been doing with her vagrant thoughts and was able to laugh at miss harriet hale 
whoever or whatever she was. What mattered it, Miss Harriet Hale or somebody else? What was that to Shirley Hollister? Mr. Graham was her landlord, and a kindly gentleman. He would probably continue to be that to her to the end of her tenancy, without regard to Miss Hale or any other intruding Miss. And what did anything else matter? She wanted nothing else of Mr. Graham but to be a kindly gentleman whenever it was her necessity to come in his way. But, although her philosophy was on hand and her pride was aroused, she realized just where her heart might have been tending if it had not been for this little jolt it got, and she resolved to keep out of the gentleman's way whenever it was possible, and also, as far as she was able, to think no more about him. Keeping out of Sidney Graham's way was one thing, but making him keep out of her way was quite another matter, and Shirley realized it every time he came out to Glenside, which he did quite frequently. She could not say to him that she wished he would not come. She could not be rude to him when he came. There was no way of showing him pointedly that she was not thinking of him in any way but as her landlord, because he never showed in any way that he was expecting her to. He just happened in, evening after evening, in his frank, jolly way, on one pretext or other, never staying very long, never showing her any more attention than he did her mother or Carol or the boys, not so much as he did to Doris. How was she to do anything but sit quietly and take the whole thing as a matter of course? It really was a matter to deal with in her own heart alone, and there the battle must be fought, if ever battle there was to be. Meantime, she could not but own that this frank, smiling, merry young man did bring a lot of life and pleasure into their lives, dropping in that way, and why should she not enjoy it when it came, seeing it in no wise interfered with Miss Harriet Hale's rights and prerogatives? Nevertheless, Shirley withdrew more and more into quietness whenever he came, and often slipped into the kitchen on some household pretext, until one day he boldly came out into the kitchen after her with a book he wanted her to read, and was so frank and companionable that she led the way back to the living room and concluded it would be better in future to stay with the rest of the family. Shirley had no intention whatever of letting her heart stray out after any impossible society man, she had her work in the world, and to it she meant to stick. If there were dreams, she kept them well under lock and key, and only took them out now and then at night when she was very tired and discouraged, and life looked hard and long and lonely on ahead. Shirley had no intention that Sidney Graham should ever have reason to think, when he married Miss Harriet Hale, or someone equivalent to her, that any poor little stenographer living in a barn had at one time fancied him fond of her. No, indeed! Shirley tilted her firm little chin at the thought, and declined to ride with Graham and Elizabeth the next time they called at the office for her, on the plea that she had promised to go home in the trolley with one of the office girls. And yet, the next time she saw him, he was just as pleasant, and showed no sign that she had declined his invitation. In fact, the whole basis of their acquaintance was such that she felt free to go her own way, and yet know he would be just as pleasant a friend whenever she needed one. Matters stood in this way when Graham was suddenly obliged to go west on a trip for the office, to be gone three or four weeks. Mrs. Graham and Elizabeth went to the Adirondacks for a short trip, and the people at Glenside settled down to quiet country life, broken only by a few visits from their farm neighbors, and a call from the cheery, shabby pastor of the little white church in the valley. End of chapter 15